Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and today I'm actually joined by a special guest. I've got Morgan Mann with me. She's the Community Relations Library Assistant at the Door County Library. Uh, And you're here today to talk about Door County Reads 2019, right? Correct. Correct. We are unveiling the book titles today. Right. So this is going to be this is going to be cool. This is going live Friday at 7 a.m. Um, and then this will be kind of announced throughout the weekend in the Pulse and on the Door County Reads website and in some other places. Uh, why don't we go back a little bit? Tell us about Door County Reads and, and kind of how it got started and what it's all about. Sure. Door County Reads is about, I believe, 11 or 12 years um, going. And I'm kind of new to the whole system, too. This is my first full Door County Reads. I've been with the library for about a year now. And the goal of the Door County Reads program is that it's um, a community building and relationship piece. So we're all reading the same book and we're all experiencing um, book discussions and live theater events and author talks all together as a community. Can you tell us a little bit about like last year? Because you you said that you joined in right after those books had been announced. Uh, what are some of the events that that took place last year? And, and do we know what the some of the events are going to be this year? So last year we had um, Kao Kalia Yang who came and she um, her book was a history piece, um, a memoir almost of her experience coming from the Vietnam area and coming through uh, California and then ending up in the Wisconsin, Minnesota area. And um, she was Hmong and we brought in um, quite a few pieces of uh, their culture. We had some of their textiles as a gallery showing. We had people from the community, um, from the Green Bay Hmong community come and speak. And we had dancers and we had book discussions and we had films. And this year, um, we have all of those things and a few more things. So. Awesome. Well, why don't we why don't we jump right into it? What are the books for 2019? This year, we are doing two books. So that's something unique. Okay. Um, in years past, it's only been one book. But this year, we are doing a nonfiction book, and we are doing a fiction book. And so the unveiling of uh, everyone knows or have, might have heard of the nonfiction piece, we are doing Dan Egan's The Death and the Life of the Great Lakes. Yes. So I'm actually familiar with this one. For Peninsula Filmworks, we've done a lot of like Great Lakes fishing history and shipbuilding on the Great Lakes um, and talking about invasive species and the ballast waters and all that kind of stuff. So I've known about Dan for uh, about a year now, and this book has been on my radar, but I haven't actually read it yet. So this will be really cool to kind of read it with everybody else in Door County this year. Definitely. Um, definitely. And then what's our, what's our fiction book? And the fiction book is by Peter Guy. And it's called Wintering. So Peter Guy's last name is spelled G-E-Y-E. So Peter Guy. And he is a Minnesota author. Mm -hmm. And this is a third book in a series. But each of the books is a standalone book. Okay. So they both deal with water. One of the reasons why we selected it. And it's really a hunting and fishing um, a father and son relationship kind of book. Okay. And it's based in the North Woods. Mm-hmm. And it's a small rural community. And there's a lot of intrigue and some history that comes out through the book. I was checking out some descriptions of this book on Amazon. And it, it seemed almost like a mystery or a thriller in some ways. Um, and I feel like this is the perfect year for me to jump in because of the, the Dan Egan stuff. But also I'm from Minnesota. So 
Oh, and wonderful. I'll, I'll read it and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what Minnesota's like, frozen and in the woods all the time. So. <laughs> totally. Also, it's, it brings in the Great Lakes, too. Um, the first book in the series was set actually in Lake Superior. This book is more in the woodsy area. But you'll have still some of the same characters and that sort of thing. So if you end up actually liking this book, you might want to go back and read some of um, the other two pieces in that sure. series. So so these are the two books. And how long does Door County Reads go for? Door County Reads um, lasts for two weeks where we have a whole uh, plethora of events. Our first um, or the kickoff is going to be on February 3rd. And we're going to have um, Ann Mosier come speak. And she is a li- uh, she is senior librarian for the Wisconsin Water Library. And so she's going to be our kickoff on February 3rd. And um, it'll be a noontime piece. And we're going to be in Birch Creek for that. Okay. And correct me if I'm wrong. You can, you can rent these books uh, at libraries. All you have to do is go into any library and say, do you have the Door County Reads books? And they have them to rent, right? It's even better than that. Okay. So um, part of Door County Reads and, and getting it out there is that you can come to any of the library branches in Door County and get the book for free. So we have both books available right on Monday. And you can get both of the books. So you don't have to choose between the two if you are wanting to read both. Um, They are both available until supplies last. Awesome. So you get them for keeps. You get them for keeps. But the idea is really to broaden the scope of it and the community piece. So if you read it and you enjoy the book, think about passing it on to a friend or a family member or even bringing it back to the library so we can hand it out so we can have a lot of people reading this book. Awesome. Uh, the, The community aspect of it is great. I, I actually assume that it kind of kicked off sooner than February. So is the is the goal to get people to read these and then go interact with the events? Exactly, exactly. Okay. That so makes we, a lot of sense. we want to give people enough time. You know, we do have um, a few hundred books that are going to be going out, but sometimes that needs to cycle through so everyone gets the chance to read them. So the, that's the kickoff event. Any other events in the pipeline planned out for the the remainder of the schedule? Yes, um, of course we're going to be having book discussions at multiple branches. So um, you'll want to look for those summer evening, summer daytime. So we try to, you know, work with people's schedule and that sort of thing. And even if you've never been to a book discussion before or you haven't even read the book all the way through, it's fun to go just to hear other people's thoughts and opinions and different perspectives and what have you. So I know there's quite a few book groups that that have met uh, religiously and have certain names, you know, like Fish Creek has their bittersweet bookies and uh, Sister Bay at Sister Bay Liberty Grove has their readers rampant. So, but don't feel scared about going into something that's been named. Like I haven't been a part of a book club. Mm -hmm. Just come on in. And even I've gone to a few of them and I just, you know, sit in the corner and listen because sometimes that changes your opinion. But we are also going to be having um, a couple of other pieces. We're going to be having Plastics in the Great Lakes where we're going to be having a discussion about what we can do about that as um, as a community, mm-hmm. because there are some action points we can take to, to make a difference. Right. Um, and we're also having What Makes the Great Lakes So Great, and that is a program that's by Julia Nordic, and so we're having uh, her come up. We are also going to be having um, a group from Northwest Passage, and that is an organization that helps um, kids... Um, work through issues through underwater photography. And we're going to be having some gallery pop-ups of their work. And then also the um, two people who really brought that uh, group together come speak as well. Um, And then, of course, everyone's favorite is we are actually having both authors come speak at individual events. So um, the uh, Dan Egan's talk is going to be on the 9th of February. And on the 10th of February, we're going to be having Peter Guy. Awesome. Uh, where are those events going to be located? Is that decided yet? Um, we're still working on a couple of those. Okay. So um, like I said, check our website. It's doorcountyreads.org. Okay. And we'll be updating as we get more information. We'll also have um, flyer sheets with all of the events at all of the library branches. So you can come pick those up. Great. And I'm sure we will talk more about uh, these events through the weekend primer as we get into February. Uh, Any other announcements for Door County Reads before we wrap up, Morgan? Well, the only other piece, too, is we are bringing in a lot of art. So we are going to be having some gallery walks with local artists. Um, So we're going to have a map of that. And then we also have um, two theater components as well. We're going to be having um, the Peninsula Players. And we also have TAP doing uh, performances as well. Awesome. So there's there's that, and we have um, Midsummer's Music coming for um, one of the events. And there's a lot of stuff going on, 
So there's a little bit of everything for everyone. And um, maybe if you haven't experienced certain things or you're like, oh, I don't know if I like the classical music kind of thing, mm-hmm. you might be surprised. And right. so we try to mix it all in together. Well, and it's great that you offer such a variety of different activities, workshops, art pieces, um, all surrounding around not only the reading, but the theme too. I mean, Door County is such a water-driven place. It's awesome that the theme this year is focusing on the Great Lakes. Um, this should be this should be a lot of fun, and I'm I'm gonna definitely pick these books up here before February so that I can get out and experience these with the books fresh in my mind. Wonderful. So everybody, check out DoorCountyReads.org over the coming weeks here for more information. Um, and can you give us the book titles one more time, just so that they're fresh? Certainly. So our nonfiction book is The Death and Life of the Great Lakes by Dan Egan. And the fiction book is Wintering by Peter Guy. Great. Well, thank you so much, Morgan, for joining me. And uh, I look forward to Door County Reads this year. Thank you. I hope to see you at some of the events. Great. We're going to take a quick break here. And when we get back, I will be joined by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor of The Peninsula Pulse. We'll see you soon. How's it going, Miles? It's going great, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. So we have a, a couple of interesting weekends as we kind of round out 2018, but also the holidays are are well underway. Um, so we've got a little bit of news to get through. And then our feature this week, we're going to talk about an article that you wrote about your favorite winter stuff in Door County, right? Yeah, just uh, an article basically just to remind people that there is uh, reasons to be excited about winter coming, not just fear of the doldrums, which used to be my take on it. Right. So we'll get into that here shortly. Uh, Why don't we start with some of the news this week? Uh, We have some updates on the candidates for Sturgeon Bay Council and mayor, right? Yeah. So the deadline for people to file for non-candidacy, for incumbents to file for non-candidacy is December 21st. And then the deadline for people to file to run for office is January 2nd. So right about now, you're starting to see a lot of these candidates' names flood in. And so we took a look at the city of Sturgeon Bay, which is probably the most interesting because how that council takes shape would determine a lot of actions that might happen in the next six months after. So basically April is when the election is. So immediately after you see massive change and you saw what the impact last year was of three seats flipping and really kind of changed the direction of a lot of decisions in Sturgeon Bay. So same thing is a possibility this April. And this April, you also have the mayor up. So For instance, last week, the Sturgeon Bay Council voted in closed session to agree to a settlement with Bob Papke over the his lawsuit concerning the hotel on the West Waterfront. Right. And they approved that settlement. But then the mayor vetoed that. So next week, that might actually they might overrule the mayor's veto. But that's the kind of thing that would dramatically change if it were a a mayor that was sympathetic to a certain side or the other. So. Right now, the for the mayor's race in Sturgeon Bay, Birmingham has not declared non-candidacy, but he hasn't come out and said he's running again for sure. David Ward, the third district alderman who's been uh, on the council for a few years, he has put his name in the ring for mayor. And Sean Fairchild, who is a member of the Sturgeon Bay Historical Society and an outspoken proponent of saving the granary and fundraising for the granary, he's been at a lot of the council meetings and spoken on a lot of different issues beyond the granary. That's kind of probably the most uh, common association with him. So they have both put their names in. In the first district, Don Goodbin and Helen Bacon have thrown their names into the mix. In district three, uh, David Ward is not running for his district three spot again. Um, Sean Lennon and Dan Williams, the former uh, EMS director for the county, has put his name in there. District five, Barbara Allman, who has been on the council for a few years, she initially took out papers to run, and now she has filed ca- papers of non-candidacy. So she is not seeking re-election. Gary Nult, a certainly fisherman, has filed to run in that district. And then in District 7, Laurel Hauser, the incumbent, is running against Kirsten McFarlane. So those are the candidates as they sit right now. In the coming months, we'll definitely have some information about each of them. There's still time for more to for more people to put their names in the ring. But Yeah, it's it's nice to see even that there are, let's see, as of right now, one, two, three, four of the five Sturgeon Bay races are contested. So I think it's just always good to have a contested race, whether or not that other person is someone you would vote for. I just think it's good to force people to to put their ideas forward and take a stance on certain issues. So it's going to be a busy few months before that election. Is this year particularly unique in that, I I know that there are issues 
surrounding the granary and the west waterfront and some other things in Sturgeon Bay. Is this going to be a year where we see candidates uh, campaigning for or against those issues? Is that going to be something that's a major part of, of campaigns looking forward? Or do you think that's it's a, going to be business as usual? That's a good point. I mean, for Sean Fairchild, it'd be hard for him not to be associated with the granary. Other people might want to, you know, that's not the only issue in Sturgeon Bay. And in fact, there's a lot of people who would, um, <laughs> would probably run based on hey, it's not just about the granary. Uh, Seth Wiederanders, who ran last time, he really wasn't running about the waterfront or the granary or anything like that. He was, a lot of the things he talked about was just uh, the what services and what is the city doing for people who, the have-nots in, in Sturgeon Bay was really what he liked to talk about is what are we doing about people who need me- mental health services, who don't have great housing solutions and things like that, which honestly in Sturgeon Bay's climate kind of seemed out of left field given that so much of their effort is going into those that West Waterfront issue is sucking up so much of the oxygen in that city. So, yeah, I think that'll be a, a talking point, but I'm, I'm guessing some of these people might go take the other tack, too. Uh, any other takeaways about the, the incoming candidates? Um, just that it's nice to see that there are four uh, women candidates uh, already on the ballot. Might be more. You know, that's uh, I think that guarantees that it remains a majority female council which in my mind, I think is great for everybody. We need need more women in a lot of these positions of leadership because there are a lot of, especially as we get a lot more of the the smart women and the energetic, forward-thinking women in this community on these boards, bring some new ideas. Right. And I am a now... Somewhat middle-aged white man. You're approaching. You're approaching the old, <laughs> the old white man demographic. I don't like sitting in a room and just seeing a bunch of old white men decide everything in our community. Right. Like that's not to knock a lot of. There's a lot of great old guys, but like we need other people represented. Mm-hmm. Well, and the representation thing is a big thing, but diversity in in political structure is super important because it nothing really gets done if everybody is on the same page. You know what I mean? People need to be bringing their own experiences and they need to be bringing different perspectives in order to to come to something that works for a greater number of people rather than sitting in, you know, I, I don't want to use the word, the term echo chamber, but but sitting in a room with people who are all like-minded, yeah. uh, you're, you're, it's going to be hard pressed for you to, to come to a decision that isn't so obvious. Yep, definitely. Moving on, uh, there's a proposal for Pebble Beach. Tell me the story about Pebble Beach. What's going on there? Okay, so uh, Pebble Beach, one of the most beloved... Uh, parts of this county, um, especially amongst locals and year-round residents of Northern Door. It's a little stretch of waterfront in Sister Bay by the Little Sister Resort next to Fred and Fuzzy's. Last year, Fred and Fuzzy's property, the the resort, and the waterfront area all went up for sale for about $8.5 million. And that's that's a big chunk of change for someone to bite off. So they may sell off the, just the waterfront portion on its own. It's, it's kind of similar to Schoolhouse Beach. A very picturesque, beautiful spot to watch sunsets. Technically, the actual public portion is maybe, I don't know, 20 20 feet wide at Pebble Beach. But for years and years, the Luber family has kind of allowed people to use their their full stretch of 600 feet of shoreline there. And at a certain point, about 20 years ago, people really started to abuse it, leave litter out there. Um, So they kind of got more demonstrative with their private property signs there, understandably. Um, But they decided to put that up for sale. And the Sister Bay Plan Commission saw the first action toward any sort of development proposal. It's very preliminary. It's basically a site plan of saying, well, we might split this into four different parcels for maybe it's condos, maybe it's uh, single family homes, luxury homes or something along the waterfront. And to do that, it actually would require a zoning change. So it's currently zoned commercial, um, probably because back at one point, it was next to the resort there. So they were probably like, this should all be commercial in case they expand the resort. But now they're looking at residential. There's no contiguous residential zoning next to it in Sister Bay. So they don't know if they can change that to residential for this project because that would qualify as spot zoning. And you're not allowed to just pick out a little parcel and say, we'll change it for there. It's got to fit into the overall plan. But there's some question about that because Liberty Grove borders that property on the other side and the Liberty Grove portion is residential. So it's a question of whether that Liberty Grove residential counts as contiguous if it's in another municipality. So there's some questions there. Are you, have you been to Pebble Beach? I mean, you've been up here for a couple of years. I don't know if you... I don't think I have actually. Um, I'm familiar with the area, but I don't know that I've actually been to Pebble Beach. What's the, what's the conversation about this been like? I know it's all very preliminary right now, but is, is residential something that people are excited about or would they rather see this used in a different way? Well, generally, and this is somewhat unrealistic, myself and anybody else up here would probably say, I'd rather stay just the way it is. 
It's a yeah. beautiful beach. It's 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 uh, got a strong connection to a lot of people. But and in fact, for years and years, I've avoided writing about that place because locals would get ticked off at me if I revealed to all the tourists about their favorite spot. Right. So it's kind of like this thing that we don't talk about. Fred and I mean, people know about it because they go to Fred and Fuzzy's, and Fred and Fuzzy serves about seven hundred people on a given summer summer day. But there's a lot of people who would love to see the village of Sister Bay buy that property. But the village of Sister Bay has bought a lot of property in the last 10 years and does not have a lot of cash reserve to throw at something like that. Other people have suggested that the county board should look at buying it. I, I would love to see them at least look at it and investigate the prospect. Uh, it's not a cheap piece of property. The shoreline port portion of that property is for sale for $3.6 million. It doesn't mean that's what it sells for, but that's what it's for, for sale for. And the... So, like, if that were a county park, that would be fabulous. Um, maybe the land trust, I've spoken to them about it. They don't have an active interest in that property. They said they would at least consider it if people came to them with it. But it also has to have some ecological significance for the land trust to take it on. And then you'd be limiting what it might be able to be used for. Or, and some people I've talked to on the village board have even suggested the idea that, well, maybe we don't, we, we can't afford to do all of it. But what if we could preserve 200 feet of that waterfront? expand the public access a little bit there and then still have 400 feet of waterfront that could be developed, built into homes or condos. And, you know, it's not perfect, but it's better than nothing. Right. And that way this village would still get the taxes from those developed parcels without having to take all 600 feet off the tax rolls because there's the upfront cost of buying that property, but then there's also the cost of taking that off the tax rolls. That's $45,000 a year for the village of Sister Bay. And for decades, that's been tax dollars that the Luber family has paid with doing nothing with that property. So that's eventually why they, they put it up for sale. I mean, you just can't, at a certain point, they, the, the family through generations and the expansion of the generations of family just doesn't make sense to just keep paying $45,000 for everybody else to enjoy it. So what happens to the public portion of the beach as it stands now? Is that under... That would, that would still remain public. I mean, unless... Unless there are times where there are public access points of water that property owners, let's say you own both sides of it, you might ask a community to abandon that stretch. And maybe you would, usually that comes as an exchange where, you know, if, if you get Sister Bay to abandon that road, you might pay them for that property or you might give them land in a different spot or something like that. I doubt Sister Bay would ever abandon that road. Um, I think there would be an outcry. I mean, people, even if they lost the rest of Pebble Beach, they'd still like that little sliver. So I can't see that happening. If you go to, if anyone ever drives around the point in Egg Harbor, uh, the point being the side of the harbor opposite the village, there's kind of a little community back there. Every road over there that heads toward the water kind of dead ends at the water. So there's actually like maybe a half dozen public access points at the end of all these roads. And it's really kind of a cool secluded spot that if you ever wanted to go somewhere and watch the sunset without anyone around you, there's like some cool spots in there. Well, not it's anymore sort of like, now that you set it up. Yeah, podcast. now I'm giving it away. I'm giving it away to everybody. Nobody's going to figure out how to get back there anyway. <laughs> I would get lost, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, any other any other things about Pebble Beach before we move on? Uh, no, other than that, I think it'll be an interesting property to watch next year if, if maybe there is a groundswell of people who want to work to purchase that through some sort of preserve or the county board or something like that, or whether it, it goes on to development front, and I'm sure a lot of people will be making noise about it as it is developed. Right. I mean, it, so tough one. Uh, one more bit of news here before we move on to our feature. Uh, Shopco is closing a bunch of their stores, but not the one up here in Door County, correct? Yes. Uh, they announced the closure of 39 of the Shopco hometown stores around uh, the Midwest, basically. And, do you have um, a percentage of that? How big of a number is it? Compared to what, their, their overall? Yeah. I do not know that off the top of my head. Only one of those Shopco hometown store closings is in Wisconsin. Remains to be seen if there's... If this is just the first in a wave. Sure. The one in Sister Bay was, that used to be Chris Grocery Store. Then it became Pomida in 2007. And then Shopco bought out Pomida. And it's been a Shopco hometown store since 2012. It's it's kind of nice for those who live in Sister Bay to be able to go there and get like a lot of these odds and ends. Then without having to drive all the way to Sturgeon Bay or... Right hunt and peck at a lot of different stores to try and find it. But yeah, you wonder how, you know, if they're closing them elsewhere, how long does that one have with the with the just surge in online spending for right. a lot of these retail goods? There is a pharmacy in that Shopco hometown store in Sister Bay as well. So if something were to happen to that, it, it would throw into question what would happen with that pharmacy. I mean, that's too big of a building to just house a, a pharmacy. At least that's my knee jerk. Maybe there's some way they'd do it. But as of right now, that one's not being touched by this round of closures. 
And then there's also a Shopko hometown, I believe in Kiwanee County, that also has not been hit by this. And Shopko itself is headquartered in Green Bay, but it's owned by a larger kind of venture capital um, investment fund. And those things always kind of peel back. So when I, whenever I think Door County, one of the special, like quote unquote special things I, th- I say to people is like, oh yeah, we don't have like big retail chains north of Carlsville. How, how did Shopko and Piggly Wiggly get up in Sister Bay? Piggly Wiggly's been there for a long time. Used to be just a Chris grocery store in Sister Bay and a couple other small ones. All the little towns used to have, even when I was a kid and into about the mid 80s, the towns all still had like the small mom and pop kind of grocery stores. You had Wood Towson's in Egg Harbor, Washer Checks out at Penn Center, the Always Store in the Noors, um, and Schreiber's, I guess, before that in Fish Creek. There actually were two grocery stores right next to each other in Fish Creek, which is now where On Deck is. Sister Bay had Chris. You still have the one up in Ellison Bay. But around the late 80s, that shifted. Consumer habits shifted. I think the Piggly Wiggly came in in the late 80s when the complex was built at the Country Walk Shops in Sister Bay. And I believe Chris moved to compete with that. Um, Chris used to be a small storefront. They became a, they tried to go and become like a bigger grocery store. Yeah, the, the Shopco one, there really wasn't any pushback against those because there weren't, there weren't other options similar to that. I mean, we have hardware stores. We have some stores, but like nothing that was like, that fit the bill of what people were heading south for. So I think in those cases, people thought, well, this is just a heck of a lot more convenient. So there wasn't any pushback to Pomida. Shopco just kind of took that over. I don't think there was any pushback to the pig because people wanted another grocery store. Sure. If Shopco were to close, do you, what do you think rises up to take its place? Be curious. Uh, the closest thing to what Shopco is is probably Nelson's Hardware in Fish Creek. You'd be hard-pressed to think of any kind of department store type thing expanding in like just the present state of how consumers spend their money now. Yonkers left Sturgeon Bay. I mean, Sturgeon Bay used to have several different stores like that. You had Spurgeon's, you had, you had a Pomida in Sturgeon Bay. You had a couple other grocery stores. It's just not, it's not what consumers buy into anymore. So I don't know that if Shopco did uh, fade away, maybe you'd see different stores pick up some products, but I don't think you'd see any one thing rise in to replace it. The only thing that I could think of in terms of like another bigger chain maybe getting in there would be something like what Target has been doing with their small format stores. Mm. You ever been into a small format Target? Yeah. There was one in Dinkytown uh, where I went to college and it, it has everything that a normal Target has. It's just all super condensed. Can so, you go back? Dinkytown? Yeah. So I went to Augsburg College and uh, we were right next to the U of M campus and the U of M campus is in Dinkytown. That's just what it's called. <laughs> that's- that's, that's a great Minnesota name. Yep, that's where all of the uh, the sorority houses and stuff like that are. It's just, that's the college town. It's Dinkytown. Sounds like the, the home training grounds of the Minnesota Vikings. You're probably not that far off. Yeah, we, we had a, it's basically everything that is in a, a normal Target store, but it's all super compressed. So you need far fewer people working there at any one time. Um, they have, I think, like one or two, like, cash registers. So you know how, like, when you go to uh, Walgreens, they just have like one area with cash registers yeah. instead of a line of them. It's the same thing at like a small format Target. Sure. I could see something like that maybe moving in there. It wouldn't have any bigger footprint than the shop call already has. And it would feature all of the same kind of things, clothing, electronics, uh, a small section of grocery. Um, it, it's basically the same thing. And that has been something that Target has been doing more recently than in the past. So, Well, I'd be stunned if, if Target invested in a community that small. I agree. Um, but hopefully... Hopefully it's not an issue. Hopefully Shabco stays open. But yeah, we'll see. That's something to watch in the coming months if they if they close more of those stores. So Miles, why don't we take a break? And when we come back, we're going to jump into 34 things that we love about winter in Door County. Let's do it. They call themselves the Stradivarius Builders of Sturgeon Bay because the guys at Palmer Johnson were artists in wood and metalwork, anything you imagine. They did it so beautifully well. The first fishermen came down the lake from Mackin Island, worked their way along the north shore of Lake Michigan, and they came because of the whitefish. The whitefish were abundant. In 1945, 2000 German prisoners of war came to Door County and picked cherries for just one harvest season. Peninsula Filmworks is dedicated to telling the stories of Door County, past, present, and future. To learn more about the history of shipbuilding in Sturgeon Bay, to see how the cherry became a Door County icon, or to watch the peninsula's last remaining fishermen brave the waters to haul in thousands of pounds of whitefish daily, and the many other incredible stories produced with the Door County Visitor Bureau, visit doorcounty.com slash ourdoorcounty. 
Okay, we are back. Smiles, you wrote an article for this week's Pulse called 34 Things We Love About Winter in Door County. You were telling me that this is kind of uh, in reaction to your your perception of winter changing in Door County from, from where it used to be? Yeah, you know, like the... Basically, Fall Fest, the day after Fall Fest used to be one of the more depressing days of the year for me. Uh, Working in the restaurant industry, you go from all your friends being here, really busy streets, every night's just fun, there's always something going on. And then that Monday after Fall Fest, the street is dead. There is no, you can go through Sister Bay and it's just like a ghost town. You see the tumbleweeds roll through. And that used to just really bum me out because I'm like, oh man, everyone's gone now. Now it's like seven long months until like the... People roll back into town. We we have, you know, we have some busy weekends in the winter at that time, but it wasn't very consistent. And especially as a younger guy at that time, it was just, you were looking a lot ahead to a lot of long gray days. But now, I, you know, as, after I moved back from being in Chicago for several years, the I found last winter was so much better than I remembered. And part of that is probably just getting older. But also just like I'd find myself getting on my fat bike and just kind of loving bundling up and going for a ride on my bike and taking my dog out through the orchard or down the road or taking my bike out on the bay and then just driving around and winter sunsets I've really kind of fallen in love with I think they're just like and scientifically they're actually are proven to be like brighter colors and pretty spectacular and you know just come to appreciate the the winter landscape up here so as we were getting into December I just thought like let's let's get excited about this rather than see it as something to be put up with. Like winter is a great time. And especially as you, as you get a little older, you find out that like all your friends that work in the service industry, you see them a little bit in May, you get excited for the summer and then basically they're off your radar for the next five months. Right. You know, so the, the winter has become for my wife who is from Chicago. And when we moved up here, the first four or five months we were here in the summertime, I think she was a little she was loving it, but she was like, yeah, I thought we'd meet more people or hang out with these guys more and stuff. And I was like, wait till the winter. That's when, that's when that happens up here. And sure enough, next thing you know, like your calendar is booked because that's when people do dinner parties where people organize events or when the people who live here can kind of take advantage of all these different things, whether it's bowling, going to movies, going to some of the restaurants that all summer long, you just don't have the time to do, or you're always working in a different restaurant. Now everyone is like, let's go do this. Let's go hit up the Wickman house. Let's go hit up uh, Cherry Lane's arcade bar. Let's go on a dive bar crawl or something. So it just becomes a great time to experience Door County that I think is very underrated and can be a lot of fun. Right. This is my third winter and I, it's kind of unique. I've got, I've got to experience both the bad winter and the good winter so far. So my first winter up here, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any friends. Um, I was working a job that I wasn't particularly enthusiastic about. And then winter came and it was just like, there's nothing. And I, I, I didn't know anybody. Nobody came into work. It was just, I was bored and really started to miss my friends and my family back in Minnesota. And I used that winter to kind of like brood and write and get artistic. And then me and my wife started Open Door Theater Company last year. And we, we got together three shows and we performed three shows throughout the season. We worked super hard. So it was me and my wife and we had three interns and a volunteer all living in our house with us over the summer. So it was just constant interaction and seeing people and working really hard. And like, I would go to work, then I'd come home and immediately go to rehearsal. And we do that. And it was just writing and all this work. And then finally we were done right as like it turned to fall. And then I was like, I'm so ready for winter because I don't want to do anything. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I got to have a really great winter. And like shortly before we opened our season is when I came to Filmworks. So Like everything picked up for me then. And the winters at Filmworks are really interesting because we're still shooting quite a bit. We're shooting a lot of different stuff, winter activities, the winter fleet in Sturgeon Bay, lots of things like that. But we're editing really heavily too. So you you, you get a little bit of both. So I get really excited to kind of like take a breath in the winter and get to see my friends and stuff, like you said. But then I'm editing at work all day. So then by the time like spring rolls around, I'm ready to get outside again. Yeah. So it, it, I've, I feel like I've hit that perfect balance where it's like I'm working really hard in the summer and then I get to kind of relax in the winter, but then I just start to get stir crazy around spring and then it all <laughs> starts over again. Well, it really is a different dynamic living up here where you have that up and down. Like most small towns in America, you just you're, it's just like a level, like the summer isn't all that different in population and things from the winter. Up here, there is such a drastic change. It's, it's nice to have something to look forward to, whether it's looking forward to the downtime when you're crazy busy or if it's the middle of winter and you're like, all right, yeah, I'm getting through this, but hey, 
it's going to change. Like one of these, di- mm-hmm. like once May comes around, there's going to be this whole new influx and in people I get to meet or people I get to see again. Well, and you appreciate the seasons too. Like, mm-hmm. you, like in Minnesota, it, it was pretty much winter all year round, and then it was warm for two weeks, and then it was winter again. <laughs> so, I mean, you you really appreciate the seasons up here because they feel different and they bring different things. Yeah. So, like spring, things start to come alive, and uh, we're we're gearing up, and businesses are opening up, and things are waking up, kind of like how spring is. You really mm-hmm. get to feel it. Uh, physically here then summer is super busy and there's a lot of like beach and water and all that kind of stuff because that's what people come up here for and then fall door county is so beautiful and everything turns in the fall so you get to really like viscerally experience all that color and then everybody leaves and things quiet down and everybody comes out of their like holes and gets to talk to each other again in winter so you you get to feel every season really like Physically. Well, what I loved is this phrase that I first heard from Kendall Johnson, who uh, runs the front of the house and at the waterfront restaurant in Sister Bay. She calls the winter season, she calls it friend season. And that's one of the ones on the list. It's just like that time when you get to reconnect and catch up with all these friends again that you just didn't see. I love that term. So I, I in putting this list together, I had a bunch of things I had in mind. And I also reached out to others in the office and reached out to a lot of friends for some of their suggestions of what they do. And what I tried to do is, and some of these things on the list, I've never even done. So tried to get a, a good cross section of ideas of not just things we love, but also it, this is like ideas for people like, all right, I maybe you hate winter. Like check these things out. It's pretty cool going on these hikes in the parks and experiencing them in a different season because it's like having another park in the wintertime. It's just so different. Or hiking out on the bay and just kind of, there's just like a different level of solitude even though Door County has a lot of solitude in, in the peak of the season, even if you find the right places, wintertime, if you're just standing out on a, on a lake, on a frozen lake, it's remarkable. One of my favorite things to do is during the Door County Pond Hockey Tournament, when we're setting up for that, is the sunsets over Kangaroo Lake in the winter are just like this. They almost look like fire. And the, I'll put a picture of that on the website with this article. But those are just so stunning. And it's just like, eh, it's just me out here. Bundled up, sitting in the snow. Right. It's great. Why don't we look at some of these? Uh, maybe we'll do like the first 10 of these. Sure. Uh, and just kind of talk a little bit about them. So number one, you've got pedaling fat tires over the snow. Uh, I actually haven't gone uh, fat biking. So why don't you tell me a little bit about why you like it so much? Fat biking is like sort of like pedaling a kind of a waterbed on snow. I mean, it's just like it, it's so much. A fat bike, it looks like it's really heavy, but they're super light. You can basically plow through anything on them. If in the summer, you can just go right over piles of rocks. In the winter, on certain trails in Newport State Park, they have a loop that they groom. And then uh, there's a guy down in, in Sturgeon Bay, Snowcraft Nordic, if, it, if you happen to know a friend who can get you in there. There are incredible trails there. Even riding in Peninsula State Park, going up Sven's Bluff in the snow. It's just a really cool way to experience biking in the wintertime. And it's not hard. I feel like it would be super hard to like push a bike through the snow. It's, it's not. I mean, there are certain points, like depending on the type of snow, if it's, if it's really deep and heavy, it can, it can be hard. But some of the lighter, fluffier stuff, even um, if, you, if you have uh, stubs on your tires, even on, on some icier stuff, you're going to be fine. And then on the groomed trails, it's incredible. It's, it's better. It's more fun to ride on a groomed snow trail than it is a dirt trail in the summer. It's awesome. So number two, you've got candlelight skis. That's one of those things that I've never done. I've done a lot of cross-country skiing, and then, but I've never done any of these. But each of those state parks hosts one, or I shouldn't say each, Newport, Peninsula and Whitefish Dunes all host candlelight skis. Just another really cool way to get out at night and, and mm-hmm. experience the park. Yeah, I've seen footage of one of these and it's just they line the trails up with candlelights. And isn't there something where you like you make like a little snow igloo and put a candle in it? And yeah, it kind of glows. Yeah. yeah, really beautiful, a super like romantic thing to do, I would think, to, to take your significant other out on mm-hmm. it. And cross-country skiing, is that something that's been big in Door County for a long time, or is it something that was introduced? It goes on and off. It's always tough because the winters are so unpredictable here. But, like, Steve Kastner at the Omnibus used to have a, a candlelit ski trail around the bar down there. That was supposedly, People say that was just super awesome. You'd go out and do a little loop and then come back and have a beer and go out and do a loop. Roy Lucas was big on, on cross-country skiing. So was... Um, Herbie Hart, who was a, you know, old timers will, will know him. He was, he lived to be, I think a hundred, 101 had a Herbie's acres up on by the skyway drive-in, but he actually started a lot of cross country ski trails in Peninsula State Park. But yeah, and it's a fantastic workout. Number three, you've got the Fish Creek Winter Festival. Obviously great time, Mm -hmm. goof, goofball games, fun, just hanging out on a tent with a bunch of buddies. And this, this came from 
that kind of stir crazy feeling that you get in the winter, right? This came from like, man, we got to get out and do something. So everybody got together and did the most ridiculous stuff that they could. Yeah, that's like, where cherry pit spit, yeah, bicycle, bicycle toss. throwing, uh, the toilet seat. Yep. I, I've seen that. We used to do human foosball down there. That was fun. I, I just think that you guys were out of your minds before the internet. You couldn't <laughs> talk to anybody. You didn't have phones up here. So you just went out into the streets and tried not to go crazy. Uh, number four, you've got turning ice into art. Um, so the Sturgeon Bay Fire and Ice Festival has a lot of ice sculptures, right? Yeah, they get a bunch of ice carvers and snow carvers coming in with chainsaws and just doing really cool stuff with ice down on the sidewalks down there. They have a lot of other stuff going on in the city that weekend. Uh, I think it's Valentine's Day weekend. Um, they did a really cool ice festival in Minnesota where they do like big ice palaces and stuff that you could walk through. I've heard about this one. Brian Fitzgerald, uh, who helps organize the Door County Pond Hockey Tournament with me, I think that's his dream is to have like that kind of ice palace mm -hmm. thing set up as part of the event. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I was thinking about uh, buying an ice sculpture online and putting it up in my living room. Uh, number five, you've got trivia challenges. Lots of places up here do trivia nights. Um, have you done any of them yet? I've been to... You did, you did the big one last year. With yeah, that, so the Alexander's. The Peninsula Preschool. Yep. yep. Um, I've done the Alexander's one. I know that they do it at Bricklot. I know that they do it at the Dark County Brewing Company. Yep. And some other places. Stone Harbor does one. And then the Sturgeon Bay Rotary Club does one in March down there as well. So, yeah, the, I've been to the Brewing Company one a couple times. I wish I would have performed better. But, yeah, it's fun. Just have a couple good mm -hmm. beers. And I love trivia. I actually grew up, my dad would take me out to Buffalo Wild Wings every week on like his day off and we would go and we would get wings and we would I play the trivia machines yeah. there. They'd do like a, a 10 cent wing night and mm -hmm. you just, yeah, that was a college, that was a cheap eat at college and plus like the sports trivia, was that was my ball game. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you have a trivia question to pose? Because I got one while you think. Where did Curly Lambo die? Uh, I don't know. You probably wouldn't miss the sports. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. I'm going to hit no, you. No, Curly Lambo died in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin. Oh, for real? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He used to have a cottage on Cottage Row. Um, which burned down. Uh, it was a big front page of the paper deal back in the day. Uh, he used to date a woman named Mary Jane Sorgel, from, who was a golden girl who lived in Sturgeon Bay. And he, I believe he died, had a heart attack mowing his lawn. Hmm. All right, you hit me with sports. I'm going to hit you with video games. Do you know what the best-selling video game console of all time was? Maybe the, the Atari? Nope, not even close. The PlayStation 2. Really? Sold over 155 million copies. Do you want to know why it was the most, like the best-selling console? No. Because it had a DVD player in it, uh, and competitively, it was priced good against other DVD players at go. the time. So people were like, well, if I'm going to get a DVD player, I might as well get the one that comes with a video game console that my kids can play too. So it, it sold well and above everything else. Yeah, I remember that being a huge deal. Number six, you've got the Teresa K. Highlander Ice Rink. I've actually never been here. Oh, you got to go. It's like Wednesday nights when they have broomball going on. I always play broomball, which is another great workout and also how I lost four teeth back in the day, which I just found out is still costing me money. Nice. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just like a small town. I, I love it. I love the old rink when it used to be kind of nestled into the trees where they then pushed that out of the way for the fire station. I, I think anybody who ever was at that one is still nostalgic for it. But the current rink is, rink is pretty great. Uh, they've got a big fire pit there. Um, there's a rec rink for, so while broomball's going on or while guys are playing hockey on the main inside the boards, there's another rink where anybody else, there's always a lot of kids up there learning to skate. I play broomball because I can't skate. My wife can skate really well. I am like, each year I try a couple times and I look like one of those kids falling down all the time. But yeah, it's just a real cool small so town not, scene. Do you not wear skates for broomball? No, you wear broomball shoes, which look like... Shoes with sponges on the bottom. Nice. That's okay. the easiest way to describe it. You got to see it. It's just goofy. Uh, if you're not a fan of the cold, for number seven, you've got high school basketball rivalries. Yep, when does sure. the high school basketball season start? It is. It starts in November, so it's been going a little bit already. I just put in the two big ones, Southern Door and Sturgeon Bay, big rivalry games, and then Gibraltar and Sebastopol, the two smaller schools. It's always great to see those games, especially even though I'm a Gibraltar guy, I think when you go to that game at Sevastopol where the, there's just fewer stands and it just feels more packed and loud. That's always fun. But yeah, and that's one thing I always liked about coaching basketball is I didn't have to put up with the weather conditions at right. all. You, you got to have all the fun of uh, sports without getting outside. Yes, that's great. Uh, number eight, you've got pond hockey. So I, yep. I've actually been to pond hockey now. Last year, I'm sure I'll be there again this year. And it's a really big event. There's a lot of people that come out for pond hockey. Yeah, there's, you know, a few hundred people come down just to watch it. It, it is one of those things where, you know, the half marathon, 
it's great to, if you have a family member or somebody you know, it's great to see them accomplish something like that. But it's not like a spectator event that per se, not in the same way. But the hockey tournament, it's like if you like any sort of sports, it's kind of fun to watch these guys because there are some really good players. It's pretty fast-paced action. And there's, you know, 10 games going on at a given time. So there's a lot of stuff to check out. Right. That's the thing that I like the most about it is that you're not just watching one game. You're watching 10 games and you can turn any direction and see another game. So as I was walking around, I would get like, I'd, I'd hunker down and I'd get a cool camera angle and then I'd get a cool shot that would happen. But then they'd, you know, kind of reset and cool off. And then I'd just walk over to the next pe- people and, and get them doing stuff. So there was always something cool to see. And there's some really good players. There's a couple of Blackhawk, former Blackhawks players that were there the last couple of years. So it's, there's a high caliber player. There's a bunch of, a lot of former college hockey players there. So even if you don't know anything about hockey, it's, it's a pretty cool way to watch it. Well, hockey's such a visceral sport that just makes a lot of sense anyway. It's mm-hmm. just, there aren't a lot of rules. It's just get the puck into the net, and <laughs> sometimes you punch each other. So it's like it always has that, like, that yeah, visceral was... energy. <laughs> and, and, and Pong Hockey's always getting bigger, too. You guys added a couple uh, more oh, rinks we, last year, right? We should have about 50 teams this year. So about 300 different, 300 to 325 different players. Number nine, you've got Ice Shoves. Um, so I actually just learned about Ice Shoves, and they're horrifying. Because uh, <laughs> I immediately went online and watched videos of Ice Shoves, like, coming in and destroying people's homes. That didn't happen in Door County last year. Right, and there's nothing you can do about it because it's just, it's hundreds and hundreds of pounds of ice and they make a horrible noise. They sound like a cave full of bats. It's like the weirdest, scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, a few years ago, it really, there were some spectacular ones in Door County because they're great for photographers um, and they're just really cool to check out. And some some years you get these big, tall shoves where, you can go out there and, and they're 20, 30 feet tall and people just climb on them and stuff and they, they just make for a really dramatic scene. I know a lot of people go up to like Door Bluff Headlands, Ellison Bluff area to hunt some of the best spots for them. And it's, yeah, they're just, they just make fantastic photographs. Dan Anderson, who we interviewed mm-hmm. for the film company last year, he's got some really great ones. He's right. probably the preeminent photographer in, in the county and he, yeah, he just does some amazing stuff. Well, and hunting for ice shoves, that really is a good t- word for it because you they, they happen, usually the, the things that make them happen are the same things that kind of indicate good snowy weather. And if you don't get to them before they're snowed, or before the snow comes down, they're just hills at that yeah. point. Yeah, so right. you have to get there before they get covered, and usually you only have a couple day window. You get that crystally look up, yeah. Right. Uh, and then number 10, maybe this will be the last one that we do. No, let's do, we'll go to 11 because 11 is pretty good. Uh, 10 is Whoa. the Winter Fleet. What? Always oh, cool. Yep. Uh, I, I got to see the Winter Fleet leaving last year. I went down, um, and the Winter Fleet is cool because, like, it, it's known when ships are going to leave, but never exactly when. So I went down at 7 a.m. to Sturgeon Bay, and I sat in my car waiting for the, the last ships to leave. Uh, and then it got to be about 11.30, and I was hungry, so I went over to McDonald's. And then when I came back, one of the ships had pulled out and was leaving. And I was like, no. So I ran down the, the pedestrian walkway that sticks way out into the water. Sure. So I ran all the way down there, got some video, and then I was like, okay, they're all going to pull out into the bay, turn around, and then come through the, the, the bridges. So I was like, I'll wait for them to come through the bridges. And they didn't come through the bridges until 8 p.m. Wow. So I was out there for 13 hours to get, the, <laughs> to get one shot that I knew was going to be beautiful. And I got it, and it was beautiful. Yeah. That was really cool. Uh, We've got all of the winter fleet schedules on our calendar now, so we're going to be down there getting them all coming in, and then I'll probably head back out and get them leaving right before spring. Yeah, and if you want to go check it out, we also have the the calendar of their arrival times up on DoorCountyPulse.com. Right, and you also linked to Boat Nerd in the article, where you can actually watch the boat's GPSs. Um, so oh, yeah. you can see exactly where they are in the water and follow them in real time as they're coming in. Yeah, it's one of those things I took for granted as a kid because you just always see those ships. It's just part of what's here. Mm-hmm. And then as I got old, like now, I'm like, that's pretty damn cool that this tiny little town in my hometown community has like all these mass, massive engineering marvels. So right. it's kind of cool to check them out. And let's wrap up here on number 11, winter sunsets. So like you said, sunsets in... Well, sunsets in Door County are awesome anyway, because a lot of them, you watch them on the water, which is always beautiful. But then in the winter, the colors are more magnificent. There's something about how, like, the shadows turn and turn the snow kind of purple, which yeah. is really beautiful. Yep. Where are some of your favorite sunset locations? I think the way that it falls, just the way the time of year, Ephraim at Anderson Dock is just, especially if you're a photographer, the, that contrast with the pier, and that's usually all frozen up, and the Anderson Dock, that building, 
with the sun setting behind it always is a cool shot. And then uh, I like to ride out on the bay in Sister Bay. Just take my fat bike out there with my dog. And, you know, you got to be careful about ice conditions. But just getting out there by yourself and, and seeing, watching the sun go down behind the ice shanties is, I love it. And even from the park, if you go up, it's not necessarily like a perfect sunset view. But Sven's Bluff, if you, if you go up there, bike up there, looking north, because Sven's Bluff, they don't plow that road. So you're going to either have to hike or bike up there. Looking north along the shoreline, the as the sunset colors fall on that, it's just a, a beautiful shoreline. What about yourself? My go-to sunset is the Egg Harbor Marina. So I'll oh, go yeah. down there. A lot of times the sun dips down below the horizon um, behind the trees. So you mm-hmm. don't really get to see it actually touch down, especially in the winter. But the coloring is really beautiful out there because of how the shadows hit. And then usually like right as the sun is dipping below and it's all turning orange and purple, you can turn around and look up the hill into oh, sure. the park. And then it's just all like golden light and the, the sun is reflecting off all of the art that's up there. Um, so that's like my go-to place where I bring people whenever they come up. My dad runs a, a small group, 10 suites at the Bay Point Inn in Egg Harbor. It's up on the bluff. And that view from up there, watching the winter sunsets is just spectacular from um, just about a mile north of the center of town. And uh, he's just got the best workplace because his office just looks out over that as he's working at the hotel every day. And another great spot is down in Sturgeon Bay, Sunset Park, where it's right next to the shipyards. I always think it's kind of a cool, poignant look when the sun is setting and you got the big shipyards and the gantry crane there. And it's, it's kind of a, a neat industrial, blue-collar, small-town scene with the beauty of the sunset behind it. Right. Well, I think that that's just about going to do it for us this week. If you want to read more wonderful winter moments, there's about 25 more of them in the article in The Pulse this week. Yeah, a bunch of ideas for hikes and uh, winter dinner specials and things like that that are going on in the county. So... Uh, hopefully it gets people excited to try and do a lot of new things and a little bit excited for winter in Door County. Right. Uh, so thank you so much, Miles, for chatting with me this week. And thank you. I look forward to chatting with you next week. All right. Thank you, Andrew. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. For more headlines, visit doorcountypulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.